Hello, welcome to Leading with Grace, the podcast for women going through separation and divorce. My name is Hio, and I am your host. I'm a certified life and spiritual mastery coach, and here I get to show you how your divorce doesn't have to be devastating, but that actually it could be the means of greater discipleship with your Savior Jesus Christ as you connect with Him in a higher and holier way. Let me show you how. Hello, my listeners. How are you all doing? I am so grateful that you are here as you are on this journey on this forgiveness series. And I want to introduce you to a special guest of mine. And I came to learn about her work a few years ago. And I had to reach out to her when I was thinking about this forgiveness series. And she is a professional licensed um, counselor. And she practices here in Cary, North Carolina, and she has her own practice. And her name is Sarah Passy. And she works in, um, she works with individuals, she works with couples, and she works with families in regards to the counseling setting. And I'm going to, I'm just going to turn the time over to her now to tell, to allow her to tell you more about what her expertise is and how she got into the field. And for my personal benefit and curiosity, I want to know what she did her PhD on, which was a complete surprise when we were talking right before we hit the record button. So Sarah, tell us more about you. (laughs) Well, thank you. And thank you for having me. So you already mentioned my name is Sarah and I did, I finished my PhD in January of this year. I'm a big believer at any age of going back to school. I think it's just awesome to know that at any, at any age, our brains can continue to learn and grow. Um, but I do, I opened my own private practice about three years ago. And I find that your, your specialty tends to be the people that continue to show up at your door, you know, and, and whether that is uh, prompted, whether that's guided, whether you just find that you resonate with a certain type of person, and then they tell their friends. Um, more and more, I'm being pulled towards working with adult women, usually between the ages of, I would say, 30 and 60. I know that's a big, a big range there. Uh, yeah. But what I find is that these are women that predominantly feel stuck. Um, they have lived their lives in certain ways and then all all of a sudden it stops working Mm -hmm. and they recognize that something needs to change uh they don't feel authentic anymore they they don't feel connected and it's it's my favorite type of client to be able to walk into their lives with them and figure out okay what what can we shake up what can we look at how can we approach this from a different perspective I look at counseling predominantly like pulling open a junk drawer, you know, that, that drawer in your kitchen, that is the catch all that it's like, well, if I don't know where to put this, I'm just going to put it in this drawer. Yeah. And and it's, it's the process of pulling open that junk drawer and dumping it out and really examining it and deciding, okay, which of these things are serving me, which aren't, and what can I do with the ones that do serve me to be more productive in the way that I use them? So it's a process of reorganizing and I had a roommate in college that said, Sarah, before there can be organization, there must be disorganization. <laughs> and so it's a process of attacking the disorganization and making it work for you and then getting rid of the stuff that doesn't serve you anymore. So 
and, and I find I do that work a lot with, with women. Wow. So that, that's the audience that I really love working with. Oh my goodness. Okay. Yeah. So I didn't answer the PhD question. No. Though, did I? Okay. Well, <laughs> what, yeah. What did you do your PhD on? So my PhD work was with um, a counselor's experience working with caregivers of autistic individuals. So I have four children, two of which are autistic. Um, and I have experienced the other side of the couch where I have worked with counselors that just didn't really get what my experience was. And that was the predominant research from the caregiver perspective is that um, they just didn't know where to go for appropriate and, and compassionate mental health support. And so my, um, my dissertation and my work focused on how to increase the competency, you know, the counseling competency of counselors working with caregivers of autistic individuals. And I work, I work a lot with parents and uh, neurodivergent families too. So that's another wow. a little piece of my work. Yeah. So just out of curiosity, and this is just a side note before we go dive into forgiveness. Um, how do you think that, that this study in the caregiver experience and has helped you in working with women between the ages of 30 and 60? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. Like, is there a connection um, there? Well, I mean, I am one of those caregivers. And so if anything, it just brought to the surface the importance of feeling validated, feeling seen, um, a willingness to meet people where they are. And oftentimes we just need someone to sit in the junk with us, right? And, yeah. and a reminder that, that so often we just need someone to understand and be comfortable being uncomfortable with us as we struggle. And, um, and I think that that's an important piece because, you know, in reality, a lot of the things that we face in life can't be changed. They're unchangeable variables, right? The only thing that we can change is what our experience is with it and how we interact with it. That's what we have control of. And, um, and just being able to acknowledge that with someone, to recognize it, to be non-judgmental about them being angry about it. Uh, is just a gift that you can give someone, right? Yeah. I love all those words that you used um, that related to yourself. Yeah. That you just wanted to be validated, that the struggle is real. Yeah. That, struggle is real, and, man. Yeah. And that, and to be uncomfortable, to be comfortable with the uncomfortable. Yeah. Well, think like of how often we struggle with that. I mean, you walk yeah. into a room, it's hot you're immediately looking for the thermostat. It's like, no, I need to change this because I don't want to sit in a hot room. Yeah. We, um, we are kind of conditioned to uh, want immediate gratification and we don't do well when something is uncomfortable, which is where a lot of avoidant behaviors come from. And uh, it's just a good skill to learn. And it's a, it's a gift that you can give somebody else. Absolutely. Totally. And so just out of curiosity, because I, as, I, as you were like talking about this, I was, I was thinking about the topic that we're going to be discussing today, which is on forgiveness as part of the forgiveness yeah. series. And one of the reasons why I invited Sarah onto the podcast was because I wanted to talk about forgiveness 
in just in different angles, because it always seems like we talk about forgiveness at church. So it has a spiritual tone and note and flavor to it. And I'm not saying that as a wrong thing, but sometimes it's so hard to relate to forgiveness in that way. Like we feel like we should relate to it and yet we can't. And then we don't know how to implement it, which is why I invited Sarah onto the podcast is to talk about forgiveness from the lens of, of counseling Mm. and from the lens of the struggle is real. And so you're honest, just this could be an opinion, honest opinion. (laughs) Is forgiveness easy? No, it's terrible. It's terrible, (laughs) right? (laughs) It's terrible. And then we feel really bad about ourselves when we aren't able to do it easily. I know, know, right? And we we feel like we're not Christian if we can't forgive. There's a reason. It is hard. It's super hard. It yeah, that's is. my very clinical answer for you. <laughs> I love it. That's the PhD answer. It's hard. Yes. Amen. Yep. Mm-hmm. There, there End you of go. story. <laughs> so, so how would you define forgiveness? Okay. So what I wanted to do is uh-huh. give you a clinical definition of it. I love okay? it. Let's start there. So I, yeah. So I pulled it up from the American Psychological Association, what their definition of forgiveness is. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to read it to you. Okay. okay. It's, it says, forgiveness is not merely accepting what happened or ceasing to be angry. Rather, it involves a voluntary transformation of your feelings, attitudes, and behavior so that you are no longer dominated by resentment and can express compassion, generosity, or the like toward the person who wronged you. Um, for me, the most important word in that entire passage is voluntary. So it is a voluntary transformation. So it's something that is not just going to happen. It's a choice that you have to make. You have to really lean in in order for it to happen. That's so so that means that, that it's intentional. And it's something that you have power to control. But it also means that it requires action. That's right. And it requires being uncomfortable and being in that space of resentment. And to recognize the resentment. Because sometimes, and I've noticed just just even with myself, I don't recognize that I'm being resentful. I'm just like, I have no idea why he's doing that and he shouldn't do that. (laughs) Okay, so how how does resentment show up for you? I would say resentment shows up in my internal dialogue, like my, mm-hmm. my, like my, my narrative, which is really critical and it comes in the form of judgment. And I think mm. that was one of the words in your definition It's like, I want to try and control. I want to try and judge I'm judging. And I am saying that if the other person wasn't this way, or if you just wouldn't do it this way, then I wouldn't be feeling resentment. I wouldn't be yeah. feeling these these feelings of Okay, so do, do you recognize yes, do you recognize though that in that statement you've given all the power to the other person? Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. It's like yeah. I'm if basically you, if giving they would just change. Yeah, if they would just change yeah. how they're acting, I would be fine. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and I utilize the visual like with my people, I utilize the visual of the uh 
the emotional remote control. It's like I'm just giving them my emotional remote control and say, will you just press this green button and then everything will be fine. But you keep pressing the yellow button, which is totally wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, I totally, um, I can totally relate to that. And there are times where I've no noticed that I voluntarily not want to work on it. Like yeah, I so I see that to forgive. Yeah, so so, just, so I I see that with clients definitely. And so, what would you say has been some markers of someone that doesn't want to forgive? And maybe this is just from your own personal experience, or or however you want to answer that question. No, so it um, when you're not when you're not in a place of forgiveness, so you don't want to forgive. Uh, it's doing something for you. You know, I, I tend to ask that question. Okay, so what is this headspace doing for you? Predominantly, it's providing protection. Because if we don't forgive, then we are going to naturally maintain distance between us and that person, which is going to prevent us from getting hurt again. Yeah. Right? So it's protective, number one, um, is one reason that we keep it around. Another reason that we keep it around is that there's a myth that if I forgive this person and it's condoning their behavior and letting them off the hook. And um, that's a myth because it's not doing that at all. What it's doing, it's keeping you from being able to move forward. You know, it's keeping you from future connections and happiness and joy. Uh, so it's actually working against you, you know, yeah. by, by holding on to it. And then uh, a third area where I feel that I see it, where you don't want to forgive, is that there's a part of you that doesn't feel like you deserve the forgiveness. Um, you can oftentimes, I can trace that back to family of origin struggles, where there is kind of this implicit narrative that's unspoken that communicates that you're not of worth, what you say or think or do isn't important. And so that sometimes that can feed into the lack of forgiveness piece because you're not worthy of it. Yeah. And so those are, those are the three main areas that I tend to see pop up. And that's, that works with forgiving other people or forgiving yourself. It's, it's the same. Yeah. So I don't know and if that answered your question. No, that totally does. And so <clears throat> it seems like it's a, it disconnects you from another person. <clears throat> mm hmm but it also disconnects you from your own self. Like absolutely the wholeness of who you are and who you could be showing up as. And so right. then what are the, the implications or the impact on a person emotionally, physically, and spiritually when let's say they, they, there is this disconnect, like what is going on? Let's say emotionally, let's start there. Um, you mean when you're like emotionally disconnected from someone or distanced? Yeah. Okay. So what's really interesting is that just the way that we were created, we were made to be bonding mammals, right? We yeah. are wired for connection. And that's one reason why the pandemic was so difficult is that we were separated. Yeah. And, and that's why we're seeing so many struggles right now. Um, so we're, we're wired to connect. So when we are choosing to distance ourselves from someone, uh, we don't get to pick and choose distance, right? Uh, 
we are essentially also teaching ourselves to disconnect from other people as well. And we start to suspect other people. So it starts to color very neutral interactions with other people. We start to worry that are there other people that aren't trustworthy? Mm -hmm. um, you start to question yourself and your ability to gauge the authenticity of someone else or trust yourself in a relationship. And yeah. so it, it starts to kind of like feed into all of these other areas. Um, so we, we don't get to just, like I said, we don't get to just pick and choose. It's going to, it's going to start to infest other areas oh, wow. uh, oh, and, wow. and, and work against that need for connection. You know, yeah. it keeps you from other people. Yeah. So, so it may seem like you might have a beef with one person and, but you're what you're saying and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but let's say you have a beef with another person. Um, it could be with your ex-spouse or soon to be ex-spouse or mother-in-law or sister or whoever. And instead of, of feeling the impact of that based on this one person, you're saying that you're going to have the emotional impact that's going to infiltrate all of your relationships. I'm saying that it can, it introduces doubt, right? Yeah. So probably if, if you've been wronged by, I mean, if we're, if we're talking within the, like a marital relationship or a partnership, um, you've been very vulnerable with that person and you've trusted. I mean, you wouldn't marry someone that you didn't trust or you wouldn't be with someone initially that you didn't trust and they've hurt yeah. you deeply. So think about how that introduces a seed of doubt in these other areas mm -hmm. where now not only do you have to be aware and on alert for them, but then there's the question of, well, could this, could this happen with this person? And so then you've added a different lens and sometimes you start to filter interactions um, with other people through that. Well, what if, or is there a chance that that could have been, you know? Yeah. And and so that that's where it can get kind of in dangerous waters, and and that's where I see that the distancing really start to happen. What's what's really interesting about it is that protective piece, you know, where we create the distance. Yeah. It's like no, I'm gonna I'm gonna hold on to it because it keeps me separate. And it almost becomes like, that's how I'm going to survive. When we talk physically, there have been a number of studies that they've done on forgiveness uh, in regards to the brain and physical health, where it does the opposite. Uh, living on alert and being aware and creating distance actually creates more stress. It's harder on the body. It increases blood pressure. So rather than being in survival mode and keeping yourself safe, you're actually doing more damage uh, physically. Wow. Yeah. Oh, and mentally so it impacts cognition as well. Wow. So, okay. So uh, yeah. there is some, there is, there is like real impact, real biological, oh, yeah. physiological, yes. psychological impact. Absolutely. Living in the space of resentment and not forgiving. Yeah. And so what would you say to a client that, recognizes this, you know, and they're realizing, I am feeling so distant and disconnected from others from myself, I am sensing the stress, I'm sensing the worry. And I'm sensing this growing resentment that keeps growing, and I don't know what to do yeah. about it. Yeah. So how do you begin to help this client along this path of wanting to voluntarily move through this uncomfortable 
part in their journey to a place yeah. of, of greater acceptance and love. Yeah. Well, the first step is um, not a comfortable one. And it, that's accountability, you know, mm. recognizing, okay, what was my role here? Uh, that's hard. And that yeah. it takes some time uh, as a therapist for me, it takes some time for me to be able to earn the right to ask those questions. I can't come out of the gate and, and start that because they already, they already feel vulnerable and they already feel attacked and unseen and they're coming in defensive, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so my initial role, my initial role is, is to build that in, in clinical terms is called the therapeutic alliance. So it's to build a relationship of trust, right? Yeah. And so that I earn the right to ask the hard questions. So after we do that, <laughs> after we do that, then it's, it's, uh, it's accountability. It's looking at, okay, what did I, what did I do to contribute to this? And then um, stay in a really, really curious headspace. I recommend this for everybody. Stay in a curious headspace so that you're able to explore what some of the motivators to your behavior were. Um, think about the curious headspace is that it, it continues the conversation. Whereas you had mentioned earlier that you have a judgmental inner critic. You yeah. probably don't have, you're not able to have extensive conversations with that inner critic because of the judgment, right? Yeah. As soon as judgment is cast, the conversation is over. Yeah, totally. But if we, if we stay in that curious headspace, then you can ask a lot of I wonder questions. You know, I wonder where that's coming from, or I wonder what is informing that. And, and you're able to kind of step back and, and look around and take a wider, wider lens. And so we, we do that first when we look at accountability. And then it's a lot of times it's a very practical conversation. You know, we go back to my junk drawer analogy where you look at this pile of things and it's like, okay, is this serving me? Is it, you know, is it worth keeping around? Do I like the results that it's giving me? Yeah. And, yeah. and looking at it that way, it's like, okay, so the anger might be um, validating or, and it's valid to feel that way, but is it productive Yeah. or is it keeping me from where I want to be? And so we, we start to look at things that way. Um, and then lastly, I think that we look at, I call them the shoulds. We look at the statements that are, I should this, I shouldn't do this. We, we look at all of those that are external messaging, usually that, that come in and we kind of pick it up and run with it as if our own and mm -hmm. identify, okay, where, is, where are the values there and, um, and what do I want to do with those? So it's, it's, a, it's something that kind of happens organically. It's hard to, it's hard to spell it all out. Um, but that's, that's, kind of, that's kind of where I go. I like that. The, the two words that came up for me as you were describing a, um, a, general a, a general process of helping a client go through this is, is validation. Yeah. Like they actually might have a good reason to be angry. Like you were Absolutely. saying, like right. there could be 1000% good reason for you to feel the way you're feeling and maybe in acting the way you did, but then going back to, but is it serving you? Like, yeah. I feel like that's such a linchpin of, 
a question. Is it serving you? Like you can still be angry, but right. what is it doing for you? What is well, it and not I think doing that we, exactly. I think we get caught up in some of the myths that, that come with forgiveness. You know, you hear the old adage, forgive and forget. Yeah. Um, I prefer forgive and remember. Uh, in terms of remember what I've learned, remember how to apply what has come out of this and make different choices or be more aware moving forward. Yeah. Um, and again, forgiveness doesn't mean that you're condoning the other person, you know, or the other, the other person's choices. So I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of myths associated with it. Um, and we just, yeah, but, but you're right. Number one is it is okay. There are, there are situations that are really, really horrible and very difficult to forgive. Uh, I think that one part of that definition of forgiveness through the, the psychological association that as I read it, I like, I cringed just a little bit was when it said forgiveness is not just about accepting. Um, sometimes in the beginning, it is just about accepting, you know, when it is something that's horrific that has happened yeah. to you. We're talking like abusive um, behaviors or relationships. Uh, sometimes the best that we can do in terms of forgiveness is acceptance. Acceptance that this was terrible, that I'm not going to be in this situation again, and accept that there's nothing that you can do that's going to change the other person. That's not your job. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the extent of it for you. And, and that doesn't mean that forgiveness won't be able to come later. Uh, but I think that in, in acute situations like that, the acceptance piece is enough. Yeah. And so then do you think, and, so, and this question just came up in my mind as I was listening to you, do you think that forgiveness is more of a journey or is it an arriving point then? Oh, I think that it's absolutely a continuum. I, I don't think there's a beginning and an end. Definitely not. Because you're going to go through life and you're going to experience things that change your understanding. So um, let, let's, let's take an extreme example because sometimes extreme examples um, help demonstrate a point. Okay, yeah. so you, you take a child who has an interaction with their mother that they don't like, that they think, you know, maybe she spanked him or something, or maybe she yelled or was a little bit too expressive with her emotions. And the child harbors that for a really, really long time and just can't forgive the mother for how they interacted. Fast forward, then that child, that daughter, you know, becomes a mother and has a child yeah. who is frustrating her to no end. And she's had a long day and then she finds herself having a moment where she wants to yell. She wants, she feels like she wants to throttle that kid. You know, we've all been in that moment. Where we want to just open the door and drop kick them out the door. And if anyone yeah. is saying, no, not me, they're not being honest. <laughs> that's when you have to book a call with Sarah. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and then that, that's an example where it, it's a process where that, new experience where she's walked into that and maybe stood in the shoes of her of her mother she has a better understanding of not not that she's condoning the behavior but she at least understands it right she at least understands it so i don't i don't think it's an endpoint at all i think it's a continual working 
uh, process. And sometimes we're good at it. Sometimes we can think, oh, I'm totally over that. I'm healed. I'm good. And then five years later, something could pop up and we notice that thing resurface again. And we have to look at it again, really trying to maintain that curious headspace and wonder, yeah. okay, what, what's going on right now that is connecting that to this? Yeah. And, um, and just recognizing that we are human and we are limited and, uh, and opportunities like that give us the chance to deepen our understandings of how we work, what works for us, what we need moving forward. And so when those things happen, just welcome it. Welcome it as a, as a, as a chance to continue to grow. Yeah. Yeah. And that can be hard is when something does trigger us, especially from, <clears throat> from something that happened from, you know, that was based upon our family of origin. It can be hard to welcome that triggering. Oh, very it can be hard. hard to welcome these emotions that we didn't even know they were even there. Yeah. Yeah. And so talking about it is good. Uh, what I think what therapy does, and obviously I'm a little biased because I'm a therapist, um, <laughs> but I think what therapy does is that it creates a space where you can have these discussions without judgment. You know, the beauty of working with a therapist is that it's a one-sided relationship. So you don't have to filter and you don't have to worry about taking care of the therapist after you say what you need to say. Whereas yeah. when we're talking to friends and family members, a lot of times we have to either filter or we have to worry about how that's going to land. And if I have to explain myself better and am I going to hurt their feelings? Right. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's one really nice thing about being able to have those conversations. And, um, and so it, it increases awareness so that you understand how you fit within that system of your family of origin. So that then when those things crop up, you can almost have like a, a, like a third person conversation with it or talk yourself through it. Like, okay, I realized that I was just triggered by that because this happened when I was a kid. So you kind of talk yourself through it and make the connection for yourself. Yeah. And that's, that's a real advantage so and it's a skill to be able to do that. Cause there, there's acceptance there too. You're not judging yourself for feeling it's like, well, I'm such a stupid head. It's such a clinical term. I'm such a stupid head. What's my problem? How come I can't move past this? Um, and instead, and again, that's the judgmental conversation. If we yeah. switch to the curious, it's, Oh, well, that's interesting that I'm feeling like that right now. I wonder if this is connected to that. I'm going to have to chew on this and, and really keep an open mind and see what I'm noticing. Two very yeah. different orientations. Absolutely. Yeah. And what I've just, and what I'm practicing is, you know, when those emotions come up, like when I am triggered and emotion comes up, it's, I want to just do a fight or flight. I mean, mm -hmm. I am either ready to dupe the other person or run and run the opposite direction yeah. but i'm learning to just be mindful of what's coming up and just be present with it like sometimes all i can do is just breathe i'm just i just right. tell myself just breathe and it's right. interesting because as we were talking about as we're talking about forgiveness as we're talking about things that may have happened for my family of origin you know there are moments in even in our conversation i was triggered and i'm just like just breathe just totally breathe because this is a learning experience for me. And there's something here that I need to understand about myself. Yeah. And the fight or flight again is, 
is rooted in those feelings of survival. Yeah. And it's also trying to avoid the discomfort. Yeah. Right. Totally. Absolutely. Whereas, whereas uh, more and more studies are coming out showing that one of the most effective um, interventions for anxiety and for, you know, the stress is mindfulness because it keeps you um, in the present, you know, anxiety and stress that tends to live, especially anxiety, it lives in the past or the future. And it's powerful because you can't tangibly do anything that is living in the past or living in the future. So the present is actually quite safe, right? Yeah. So if we, if we can stay in the present, then we can kind of process through that and, and we're safe. So that, that's a reason why there's so much focus on mindfulness right now is because um, it's like the opposite of anxiety. <laughs> yeah, it is. And yeah. it's also me just telling myself there's, it's not a problem. I'm feeling this. I have a yeah. human brain. I have a human body. I was given this body to feel anxiety, to feel worry, oh, yeah. to feel stress, to feel resentment, to feel all these feelings. And I'm just going to honor it. And it is, yeah. it is a practice. It totally is a practice. And there are still times where I'm just like, uh, where's a piece of candy? I need a piece of candy. I need a piece of chocolate. Uh, just, I one, need... just one just piece of candy. <laughs> I'm like, where's a, where's a sleeve of Oreos? I need a sleeve of Oreos. <laughs> yeah, well, you, haven't, no, think... you haven't seen my, my pantry after Costco. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, oh, and this is so I can eat this when this happens. <sighs> Oh, you categorize it. On this day, I'm going to go to this. I'm going to this drawer, and then I have like my red alert drawer, the ice cream that's behind the pot roast in the freezer on the back. You know, do you know about the ice cream, the Ben and Jerry's? (laughs) Because I have four children. (laughs) I love it. I love it. So, in regards to mindfulness, um, what is your favorite mindfulness practice? What do you, when, when you have a client that may not be practicing or they don't have a mindfulness practice, where do you suggest they begin? Um, well, I, okay. So I see, I see mindfulness in kind of two different categories. I think that there is daily practice that is just kind of consistent and kind of built on itself. And then there is in the moment when you are feeling that fight or flight, what do we do to emotionally regulate? Um, how do we, how do we, you know, emotionally regulate? So, yeah. um, so a lot of times it's uh, my favorite mindfulness practices, like on a daily basis is really, it's anything that allows my mind to be quiet. And Mm. when I say my mind quiet, it's that it's nowhere else, but focused on exactly what I'm doing. So for me, that is, I like walking. Um, I love gardening. It's just like me in the dirt and nobody else is there. I, I didn't realize how effective that was for me until there was one time it was a couple of years ago. Uh, I was out gardening and my best friend, my closest friend called me and normally I would want to talk to her no matter what. And I felt like she was intruding in my gardening. Oh. And I'm like, wow, this is, <laughs> this is, this is a space that I really go to just be, just be with me. So, yeah. um, so really it's any activity that, that quiets your mind is, is some of the best mindfulness. People really like meditation. Uh, I think meditation is something that you have to practice. 
if you find that yours is a mind that wanders, then I would recommend a guided meditation that kind of tells you where to go and, and what to do. Um, I have some clients that can do a 30 minute meditation just on their own without anything. And I could not do that. I have an ADHD brain and I would be planning meals for next year and figuring out how to rewire the house and that would not work. <laughs> so, so uh, meditation isn't my jam, but it works. It works for a lot of people. It's, it's, it's a little bit of a trial and error to figure out which mindfulness exercises work for you. Um, in the moment, um, I think anything that targets your senses is fantastic for mindfulness because you have to be very aware of what you're noticing about your body and it doesn't leave space for anything else. So probably my favorite in the moment mindfulness or emotional regulation exercises, the good old five, four, three, two, one. I don't know if you've heard of that, I don't think um, I have. but it's, uh, it's just sitting down and noticing, looking around and, and listing in your head five things that you see and then four things that you feel, three things that you hear, two things that you smell, and one thing that you taste. Um, and you can't, you can't think of anything else other than really just honing in. Yeah. And if you're still struggling, then you start over. And you have to find all new things. And then you were really, okay, what am I smelling? No, I already listed that. No, I can't. Nope. Nope. Okay. There's another taste in there somewhere. And so you're out of the anxious brain and just really in the moment. So really anything that hones in on your senses, it's, it's super effective. And then, you know, breathing is also effective too. It's good to breathe. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> some, yes. some people, some of my clients are like, I don't want another breathing exercise. So. <laughs> I don't, I don't do that too often. So you do the five, four, three, two, one. I love that. Thank you I, for sharing that tool with us. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> so then we've kind of talked about, um, about what forgiveness is mm -hmm. and when we're not in the space of forgiveness and actually when we are in the space of forgiveness. And so what is not forgiveness? Like what isn't forgiveness then? I think avoidance is not forgiveness. So I think that if we just write someone off that's, and just don't have contact with them anymore, that is not forgiveness. So that's where someone can say, oh, I'm over that. I just don't, I'm just not around them anymore. But then as soon as they're around them, they'll feel the same way that they did. So uh, <laughs> uh, avoidance is a, is a I can actually issue. relate to that. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> Well, and again, I think it's, it's hard work because sometimes it's like, how come I have to be the bigger person? How come I'm the one that has to get over this when they're the one that did this, right? Yeah. It's easy yes. to introduce that dialogue. Well, you do because you're the one living your life. They are not living your life and you want a better quality of life than you are giving yourself because you are focused on this other person. Yeah. So that's and, why. <laughs> and also, I think because you've been given that gift of awareness. Yeah. Awareness of crap. I don't want to live my life my, like, like, I don't want to live my life like this. I, yeah. I am sick and tired of feeling this way and thinking this way and being impacted this way. I mean, that is a gift of awareness. Well, and it's um, you get there through acceptance 
and being okay with screwing up, you know, recognizing that you're not perfect, owning that right up. I mean, I'm telling you, the secret of life is knowing that you're going to screw up and being okay with it. I mean, <laughs> I mean, think about that. I, we were sent down to screw up. It was a guarantee or the planet salvation would not be what it is and we would not have the atonement. Right. <sighs> oh my gosh. That is painful, but you're so right. And I, the, we, we've, we came down here to suffer. That's another we way, did. another way of saying it too. Well, and is it too late to go back now? <laughs> um, the other, the, the other thing that's interesting is that I think that when we do suffer, you know, if you heard the phrase, like when you, when you, I take one step forward, I get knocked, I got, get knocked two steps back. Um, yeah. One really cool connection that my brain made, my brain works in like analogies and metaphors and, and just out of nowhere one day, I was thinking about suffering. I was thinking about struggle and that, you know, thinking about that phrase. And I thought, but you know, what also happens when you, when you get knocked two steps back is that you have a broader view of your scene. Mm. So you can see better. You can, yeah. you can look at what were the contributing factors and you can take that information and choose differently moving forward or be more aware moving forward. Yeah. Um, I think oftentimes uh, when we talk about not forgiving and we talk about maintaining that distance that's protective, we're yeah. forgetting that we know more after something has happened to us than we did before. And yes. we're making that protective decision based on the person that didn't know as much. Yeah. Right. And so there's a trust piece that we need to have in ourselves that, no, I've learned. I've learned something. Yes. And because of that, I'm going to interact or choose to act differently or think differently. And so we have I to trust that. ourselves as well. And that is that kind of belief can be so empowering because when we do feel like we've been knocked two steps back or five steps back, then we can get, like you were saying, get curious, get the curious brain. I wonder if there's something I meant to learn in this experience, or I wonder how this person is going to reveal something that I have yet to learn yeah. that will better my life yeah. moving forward. Yeah. I, um, I also believe that we're not always supposed to learn something that sometimes, and excuse my French, sometimes things just suck. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad that you gave us permission to not, that there are experiences that we're, we're just not going to learn anything. That's, yeah. I love that. I mean, some, some, you know, growing up and hearing that phrase, what are you supposed to learn? It's like, does everything have to be about learning? Can't something just be awful? Yes. <laughs> Yes, it can. I'm grateful. So, I'm grateful that some things can just be awful. And then we just, yeah. okay, move forward. Yeah. There, um, as I was, as I was thinking about our very light topic of forgiveness, um, I was thinking about all the, the different things that contribute that make forgiveness complex and difficult. And uh, one predominant feeling that came out for me was grief mm. is that when we are struggling to forgive someone. We're not only frustrated with them or hurt by them, but we are mourning a loss. Okay. We are mourning the loss of a relationship, of a friendship, of a future that we thought we were going to have of a life with this person in it. And yeah. that 
brings so many different facets in. And we have to acknowledge that, that we are grieving in this. And that means that we're frustrated, we are depressed, we're angry, we're wondering if there's something that I could have done differently. I mean, these are all stages of grief. Yeah. And it's an important piece of this is recognizing uh, that we're in a grief process. So maybe when we think that it might be a forgiveness issue, which it could still be, but foundationally, it could be a grief that we need to go through and well, arm ourselves it, with. It's just not cut and dry. So when, when yeah. we go and we have those absolutely lovely church lessons that talk about, you know, how Christ forgives what seven times seven, I don't even endless, you know, amounts yeah. of forgiveness. <laughs> He's a different entity than we are. <laughs> um, just, it's, uh, it's just not cut and dry. And there's yeah. more to the story. There's always more to the story. And when we judge ourselves based on forgiveness that is cut and dry like that, uh, we're really dismissing what our own experiences are. And we're invalidating our, our own emotional paths. So it is not a cut and dry. There's not a beginning and an end. It's, it's, con it's continuous. It's going to pop up depending on what your life experiences are. And you um, address it as it comes. You yeah. really do. A and you, you handle it with empathy and compassion and love for yourself. You know, when you, you think about how you orient towards yourself, um, a good way to gauge it, if you're doing it right, is mm -hmm. to look at would I share these feelings or these thoughts or these words with my child this way or my mm -hmm. best friend? Would I be yeah. the judgmental to them? Is that what lifts them up? Well, no, it's love and encouragement. All right, yeah. well, let's try to do that for ourselves. And so um, you're human, you're going to feel it. And, and as it continues to bubble up, you have to be accepting and just work the process again. Yeah. And again and again. And again and again. Yeah. And so just now, just going on to a more personal note, um, have you had a personal experience with forgiveness? And, and how did it really, oh, what is the question I want to ask you? Was it easy? Was it difficult? What did you get out of it? Or, or, or well, it was like, not a lesson to be learned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or did it just suck? Or um, did it just suck? <laughs> I was thinking, because um, I knew you were going to ask me that. I'm like, well, which one? Which one? <laughs> <laughs> I one, mean, everyone. I can, <laughs> I, yeah, part one. I know, seriously. Do you have two hours? Um, so... I think I wanted to share two. Uh, okay. The first, okay, so it was many, many, many years ago. My husband and I relocated to a new area. And um, I met this lovely person. And for some reason, uh, we did not hit it off. Um, they, I don't know how they got this perception of me, but they they just did, they did not like me. They did not trust me. Um they said things that were really unkind to some people. And uh, I went through the cycle of accountability. It's like, okay, 
what did I do? There's something that I did is that um, just really being honest with myself in terms of how I contributed. And um, I couldn't, I couldn't identify anything. I, and, and it turned out, you know, years and years and years and years later, it turned out to be a, an individual struggle that they were having at the time that I just ended up being the person that it was being projected on. Um, but it caused me to create distance between me and this person for a little bit. And like I said, this was a lovely person. And I saw all these wonderful things that this person did in the community. Yeah. And um, I decided that I didn't, I didn't want to carry that anymore. I didn't want to be, I didn't want to feel like I was walking on eggshells. Uh, it wasn't ever anything that was exchanged face to face. It was like behind the scenes, which I don't have time for. I'm not a drama person. Um, yeah. Cause I think we just do better when we're honest and straightforward. You probably are getting that. And <laughs> we're talking. Um, <laughs> um, and I, I just, so I just decided, no, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to walk on eggshells. I started looking for opportunities to serve this person to see if I could change how I was feeling. Um, the, um, and I found that I was, I was able to find forgiveness, um, but it was an intentional choice and it was done through action. Um, that doesn't not mean that I forgot, you know, I remembered, I was aware. I think you can forgive and not trust. I think that's an important idea to remember I love that. Uh, you can you can forgive but not trust so I I forgave but I was aware of what this <clears throat> what this situation had entailed before and and what this person in the past had been capable of yeah and so it, it tempered it tempered my uh engagements with them I mean I kept a good boundary and that I I didn't allow myself to pass and I didn't allow them to to pass I think of boundaries as rules of engagement between yourself and someone else that doesn't jeopardize your own integrity. And, um, and so I, I did that and, you know, it, it resolved itself and uh, we're on good terms now, you know, but that it was hard. And, and I still, I still have moments where I feel it, you know, where it comes up. And in those moments, it's like, all right, is this warranted? When was the last time you ate? How did you sleep last night? How are you feeling about yourself? <laughs> Go through my own body system checks first. And um, and then just gathering evidence. Well, you know, they haven't done this. They haven't done that. And so challenging it when it shows up. But also being okay that, well, of course, this is going to crop up. I mean, this was really painful when it came up the first time. So it's okay. So that was, that was one experience. Do you have any thoughts or questions on that? No, that was yeah. just so beautiful. Like I could okay. sense a struggle in that. It was, it, it was. And that sense of, I have no control. Yeah. You know, you just moved yeah. to a place and no, no, like you were saying, no verbal interactions <laughs> happened. Just right. Right. And the only control there. I had was how I oriented myself towards them. That was it. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I tried to lean in to, um, how I would act towards them if I didn't feel this way. And then yeah. eventually the, the feelings shifted. Uh, my other experience of forgiveness uh, was feeling very angry at God, actually. And the process of having to forgive God. 
Mm-hmm. Um, for a situation that happened in my family that I didn't understand the reason that it needed to happen. I still believe that there are lessons that can be learned that don't have to be learned horrifically and, um, and really had a hard time. I'm like, I remember like when it started happening, I remember going outside and looking up and being like, really, you know, in, in that moment I had, well, but he gave me my personality. So he wasn't surprised. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, I love it. and yeah, and just just not getting it at all. And I and I felt I felt like this heavy curtain come down between me and him that I put there. I, I closed the curtain. I'm like, no, you know, you you have you have wronged my family and I don't I don't need you right now. If if this is what I come to expect, then I don't need you. Uh, I just, I'm not going to welcome that. And, um, and it was very difficult, very, very hard. And uh, um, I hit a point where I remember I was walking and I asked myself, okay, what's, what's better? Having a life without God or having a life with God and trusting that it maybe it could be better you know, do I, is my preference him in my life or him not? If I look at the whole history of my life and gather the evidence, um, what's a better scenario, even if I'm totally ticked at him right now? Yeah. And the better scenario was him being in my life. And my way back with that was um, just starting, I just started attending the temple a lot uh, because I felt like I could disappear in the temple and that people wouldn't be asking me how I'm doing. And, um, and I could, as the closest I could get to a one-on-one with him. And the first time that I went back into the temple, I, I remember wondering if I was going to feel an impression, you know, you, you wonder if you're going to have this amazing spiritual experience. And the message that I received in the temple, when I kind of questioned like, well, you know, things have been rough right now. If, if I could put his, the feeling that I had into his words, it would be, yep, that was it. It was acknowledgement of the difficulty, um, recognition that it wasn't over, uh, and there wasn't an apology for it. You know, it was, you signed up for this, and I trust you. I trust that you could handle it. And I didn't like that answer, but it was enough it was enough for me to be acknowledged in that moment. Um, and then I just kept, I kept going to the temple and I felt the curtain lifting and I just eventually decided that it wasn't productive valid that I felt that way towards someone that I felt wronged by, but not productive because my life was better with him in it. And, um, and that was really hard, but good. So do you trust God then? I do. I don't always agree with him, but I also know that that's the human part of me yeah. that doesn't understand his motivation. I don't, um, I don't have the benefit of his perspective or his lenses, his eternal lenses. I have to take his word for it. So yes, I trust him um, and the human limited part of me struggles still. And that is also on a continuum. And I think that is okay and an area of self-forgiveness that we need to recognize and be okay with. I love that. 
I love how you're finding that that thread of forgiveness in this story and this experience with him. And so what does it mean to you then to lead with grace when it comes to forgiveness? Well, how do you define grace? <laughs> That's a really good question. How does Sarah Passy define grace? <laughs> I think of grace greatly as acceptance. You know, uh, I think of grace as empathy and acceptance for what the situation is. And I don't think that there's any judgment in grace. And so I think when we're leading with grace, like leading ourselves with grace, it is recognizing that we're human, recognizing that we are enduring remarkably difficult things. I mean, remarkably difficult things. I sit across in session with people and I just sometimes what they're struggling with, it just takes my breath away. And, um, and the other thing that I love is that regardless of what people are struggling with or what they're sharing, predominantly, I feel God's love for them so much. I, I just, it doesn't even matter what, what they're coming to me with is, is yeah. how much God loves them. Um, so leading with grace is, is accepting that we're going to mess up, um, recognizing that there is trust there on the side of God, that we can, we can handle it, though that phrase stinks. It's like, I won't give you anything that you can't handle. It's like, I don't want to have to handle it. And I think it's also okay to feel that way because we're yeah. human and we are limited. And um, so I honestly, I just think it's all about acceptance. And um and trusting, being confident that you're going to figure it out. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. You know, we have, yeah, it's so an true. interesting intersection of psychology and religion. Is this idea of self-actualization, where there's a belief that the soul or the spirit, or however you define it, has an innate desire to progress and improve and um, develop to a certain level. And, uh, you know, we, we believe that through a, uh, religious lens you know we're here to grow we chose this plan um knowing all the facts we chose the plan yeah and i have to i have to return to that it's like no i'm going to trust that i knew what the right choice was when i had all of the facts what's so hard here is that we do not have all of the facts no we don't and we don't <laughs> and we don't remember and we have to move by faith we have to move yeah. by faith so so giving ourselves space um and patience and recognizing that and being accepting. I think that is how we leave with grace is through acceptance. Awesome. I love that answer. Thank you so much for sharing your beliefs, your insights, and uh, your brilliant mind, your brilliant <laughs> counseling mind. <laughs> and so I will make sure that um, I include all the ways of having people contact you um, if they want to work with you. And, um, and I'll have that in the show, show notes for anyone that is interested. And again, thank you so much, Sarah, for being on here. Yeah, thank and you so much for having me. No. And I was telling Sarah, I'm like, she needs to start her own podcast, but maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I won't make you answer that here. <laughs> All right. I don't know. I, I don't know. If, I don't know if, <laughs> if me, you know, that far reaching is healthy for the world. <laughs> Let's take a vote. Come on, everyone. <laughs> all right. Sounds all right. Good. Thank you so much for being on here. And I will talk to you all later. Bye. All right. 
If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to this podcast today. And if you are an LDS woman going through separation and divorce, I invite you to my free women's group called Women at the Well. And you can find the link in the show notes. And here, we harness our discipleship by asking and receiving personal revelation, seeing and recognizing the power of God through everyday miracles, and to walk the covenant path through a greater conversion to Jesus Christ.